Amen. Oh, wonderful. So we do have ushers in the back that have Bibles. We're about to do our Bible reading. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. And um, I would ask that you turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. As you're turning there, as he said, <clears throat> I'm coming from uh, Tory Chapel, Chaplain Powers, uh, 14 years in the list of Marine Corps, made the switch. I love this job so much better. I will say that. Um, and... Uh, I would like to say because I'm, I'm not about like the Christian exchange program. I in no way, shape, or form want to pull anybody from this ministry. Um, however, I'm the senior pastor for the chapel down at Tory, uh, at Tory Station. And so if you have people that you know that have that excuse, like, well, I live north. It's too far to go to Calvary Chapel. Send them my way. You know, it's, it's, it could be 45 minutes to drive back and forth. So if they have that complaint, let them know there's someplace closer that they can go. But I am so excited to be here. There are other chaplains who come here and teach. I tell you, I have one thing over them, at least, because I am the only Calvary Chapel chaplain on island. So I got that going for me. Everything else, we'll see. But... <laughs> So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. If you've already kind of peeked at it, you get to see where we're going this morning. So I would ask that you stand as we read God's word, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 1. I'll be reading from the New King James. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terrors. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for your word. I do pray, God, that, Lord, hearts would be set in the right place, God. Lord, there would be clear communication by your spirit, Lord, through every word that's spoken this morning. God, Lord, rule and reign in this place. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. You may be seated. So anybody else notice uh, the text for this morning? And here's the thing, it's Calvary Chapel. We go verse by verse, you know, down through the passages. And so I told Rick, I said, hey, May 7th, that is the date that I can come and teach. And this is what fell in that date. So I can't even blame him for it. But it starts right out, doesn't it? Wives, be submissive. I get to be that guy this morning. It's one of those infamous words verses that has, you know, those two words, all you need is wives and submit, and that's all the kindling you need for this fire to start raging. So, and, and consider, how does this concept go over in our modern society? You know, how does it work in with our modern feminism? You know, there, there are advocates in our society that are calling not only for a different approach from traditional values, but they're actually demanding that women go the opposite direction. Like they're advocating for the strong-willed, domineering woman. You know, we will not submit, we will not be ruled, rise up against the patriarchy. Sound familiar? 
Some of these groups look down on traditional motherhood and traditional family values. And guys, while there's not as many people who take that extreme of a view, it seems that as a whole as society, you know, we've kind of become more sympathetic and even partially agree with their view. But this morning, I just set the radicals and the unbelievers, you know, to the side for a second. As even for those women who are conservative, traditional, religious, even just faithful and godly. I know I'm talking to many of those women in here. This is still a tough verse, isn't it? You know, it, and I don't think I need to tell you why. I, I mean, I will tell you why. That's kind of why I'm here. But all the married women, I, I guarantee there, there's some kind of discomfort that you feel with that word submission. And all that to say, I get to be that guy this morning. I'm pretty sure, because Pastor Rick, you know, he went to go see his daughter's vacation and all that, but I'm pretty sure a little bit of that motivation was so he got to avoid this part. <laughs> so it's wonderful to be here this morning. Um, but recognize beyond any explanation or reasoning that I give this morning, we are reading commandments, you know, directly from God's word. So please don't shoot the messenger this morning. But I think we're going to have fun. We'll see how this goes. But as we start this first section, ladies, I want you to listen. Okay, please listen intently. Guys, feel free to shut off. Right? If you have a phone, if you got one of those mobile games, feel free just to click off. You have my permission. Some of you guys do not know how to take that. <laughs> right? Because I, I, I want to say, you know, you're, you're more, welcome to li- more than welcome to listen to this first part, but please understand this first section is not for you. Right? So I'll get to you later. You know, and then, I, then I'll definitely ask for you to listen. But if you pay attention to this first part, please recognize this is for your knowledge. Okay, this isn't for your application. And this is what I mean. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 is not addressed to you. All right, Peter in this letter is talking to the wives, imploring them to submit. What he is not doing is telling the husbands to make their wives submit. You get that? So he's not saying, husbands, make sure that if your wife does not submit, that you make her submit. That's not part of the equation at all, right? And it definitely does not tell you to treat your wife as the submissive partner. But like I said, your time's going to come later. So it is not your job to make your wife submit to you. And, And though the wife is called to submit, I would even say to you, even in a biblically, Christianly, husbandly, graciously, just the nicest way you can, you know, to say, honey, you should, don't even do that. Just lay off it completely. Again, I'll get to you later. But let's go ahead and read that first verse again. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Okay, so let's deal with the elephant in the room first. Like I already addressed the, the submit in this passage. I say that I don't think anybody's jumping for joy. Like, yay, submission. Woo. That's not the exciting part of all this. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Some of you do have husbands who are doing a terrific job, and it does make it easier to submit. I mean, some of you have it well. However, Is there any woman in here that loves just submitting to your husband at all times? Okay, I'm just making sure. No hands seen. So ladies, there are plenty of commands in the Bible that you can get excited about. You know, the Great Commission. 
you know, going and, and making disciples. And it's like, man, that's exciting. Oh, we got, you know, the Bible, is, we're just going to go. But then it's like, be submissive. And you're like, mm, okay. Not nearly as exciting, especially with how Peter describes the hypothetical husband in this passage. We're not talking about the rock star, fatherly Christian man. Peter describes a husband that doesn't even obey the word. So it says, even when they're all jacked up, you're called to submit. Does that sound kind of wrong to anybody else? Does it seem just a little bit off? I know, I know we're, we're reading the commandment from the Bible, but we can look at this objectively and it, it just seems a little off, right? You know, because it really is. So we're going to be turning to Genesis chapter two, right? So um, I'm going to be going back and forth just a little bit. But if you're following along Genesis chapter two, I'm just going to read verse 18. So what is it supposed to look like when you're talking about the man and wife, the husband and wife relationship? Verse 18 says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. So I, I'm not looking to break this down completely. That's a whole different message. But recognize that we're talking about a helper comparable to him. We're not talking about a, a lead and submit type relationship here, are we? At least from what I'm seeing. And he gives them instructions in chapter 1. It's very familiar. In chapter 1, verse 27, he doesn't just give this to Adam. He gives this to both of them. It says, he said to them, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So it wasn't only Adam that was told to subdue. It was told to both of them. Obviously, both are needed to be fruitful and multiply, basic biology. But both were also given charge to have dominion over everything. In the beginning, there was nothing honestly to suggest any kind of patriarchal heading. It doesn't seem like it was part of the original plan. So where does it happen? Where does it come in? When, from the New Testament, they're talking about submit. Where does this come in? It almost seems like women have been cursed or something. Well, that's exactly what happened. So move up. Genesis chapter 3. This, what we're talking about, is part of the curse that followed the original sin. So when the sin of Adam and Eve happened, then the curse was divvied out to the serpent, to Eve, and to Adam. And to Eve, God said, so we're coming out of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Verse 16, it says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Does that make sense? So understand, ladies, the original plan was not for you to be submissive to your husband. Is it possible that the whole patriarchal system today is a direct result from the curse of the garden? Consider the curse given to Adam, because for Adam, for the man, he was given the curse of the ground being cursed, which when he goes out and he farms and he works, it says it will, it will breed the, the thorns and the thistles, like you will have unproductive work. And I know for me, 
Like it's, it's terrible. I look forward to a day where my work will not be in vain, where my labor won't be unproductive. I imagine the Garden of Eden where you plant something and it just grows. Like you just see production happening. I think in the same way as women, you can look forward to a day that no, you no longer have to be submissive to a husband. You know why I say that? Because Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 22, right? So again, I'm flipping back over. So flipping to the Gospels, Matthew chapter 22. In this story, the Pharisees are testing Jesus. And they bring to him a story. And they say, there is a woman who's married to a man. This man dies. Now this man, there, there's seven of them. And so the husband dies. And in Mosaic law, you know, to, to carry on the lineage, that woman would marry the brother to carry on, you know, the family. So she marries the brother. That dude dies. So she marries the next brother. He dies. Goes all the way down the line, and then she's finally the one that dies. Right? It's funny. I read it this morning. The Pharisees are like, yeah, the person among us. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you made that one up. That's a little far-fetched. But understand, they're like, who is she married to at the end? She had all seven of them. How does this work? And so in Matthew chapter 22, verses 29 through 30, It says, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the the angels of God in heaven. It's interesting. So the submission of wives to their husbands is part of the curse that wasn't part of mankind while they were in the Garden of Eden. And it won't be part of the afterlife when we go to Jesus. So yes, it seems a little off, you know, and it can be tremendously irritating in the same way as guys, how we work and you get the unprofitable, like how the the earth just does not reap like it should in the same way. Wives, it could be very tremendously irritating when you have to submit to the guy sitting next to you. Sometimes you can nod up and down. That's fine. I'm talking to you. The guys are ignoring it. That's fine. I would encourage all of you to take a deeper look at these, honestly, um, because I know I've quickly touched these. And I will say this, if you're hearing this and you're like, that sounds completely wrong, that's fine. If all I do is just draw you into the scripture so you can look at it for yourself, then I'm good for it. But understand, and I I added this one in too. Um, I had to apologize for our Japanese translator because I threw this in on her in the last service. But my wife brought it up because she's like, what about 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. You can turn there if you want. I will read. Again, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And then verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into two transgressions. So even in the explanation that Paul gives, I really consider, you know, look look where that original sin turned everything, how it made the difference in this whole equation. But recognize, you know, we, we talk about curses. You know, there's such things as generational curses. There's curses that come that, that you can pray over, that you can rebuke, and, you know, these conditional curses. This is not one of them. We're talking about the original sin and the curse that literally changed how our world operates. The curse that came from sin and changed our natural order, it had an effect on everything. 
you know, again, man can work to bring nutrients to the soil, soil and make farming more productive. He's able to do that, but the earth will still have that curse that makes work significantly unproductive in comparison. A woman can cultivate their leadership skills and be successful in positions of power. They can. We see it all the time. But recognize the very nature of the world changed through the curse. And because of that, things work better within that balance. And so when you have a system, you know, of men in leadership, is it perfect? Uh, lady, you can, you can respond. Just like, it is absolutely not. And, and I don't think it's literally as bad as, as some of these extreme groups will advertise, but there are issues with misogyny and sexism. It, it, they're real problems that happen in areas. So what is to be done? According to, to Peter, women can have an effect on the system. You can have an effect on your husbands and on your families. You have the power to change things, and it describes it in our text for today. So one more time, we're going to read it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So did you know you had the power to win your husband over without a word? Now, I might get a little unpopular now. Is that your preferred tactic? Here we go. So, guys, studies have shown that ladies talk a little bit more than men. <laughs> Women average about 20,000 words a day. Guys average about 7,000 words a day. It is a fact of life that the average woman has more to say. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's, that's how God has created. Except when many of those words are pointed at their spouse to get them to change. Guys, when, when a significant amount of words are pointed at a man in order to make him change, there's a biblical term for that. It's called a contentious wife. And there's Proverbs plenty of Proverbs written on it. One example is Proverbs 21.9. It is better to live on the corner of a housetop than in a large house with a contentious wife. Understand, ladies, it has an effect on a man. Right? When the woman is constantly lobbying for the man to change through her words, it can become emasculating. The very nature of the man wants to run and hide. I've witnessed some of the largest guys I've seen in my life, just massive, you know, the ones who will run into battle and they're just crazy. And they become these frail children when they're around their contentious wife. So that's one of the powers that you hold, ladies, and Satan wants to use it to break your marriage apart. Now, I want to get a few things clear on this. So first of all, wives... You should tell us when we're messed up. You're allowed to. You're supposed to. You should still encourage us as husbands to get away from certain things or to strive for better things. You should always be able to communicate your needs and your desires. But within that, as the passage says, allow your conduct to make the change. It absolutely can make a change. It can sway your husband's heart. See, I see it in my own life, and I've seen it as, as a chaplain who does counseling. I've seen it in countless marriages where that change has been made. 
You know, if you're one to talk, then as the passage says, let your words be alongside your chaste behavior. The word chaste here, it means innocent or modest. So it's an attitude, the way you carry yourself. And he describes it in the next few verses. There's another thing at the end of verse two. We'll hit that later. But back to first Peter three, and we're going to get hit verse three. So do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So when I read these verses, it's kind of sad because I always have to chuckle a little bit because I've seen the other side of this. So if you ever find yourself in Southern California, you see this a lot, but where I would always see this was particularly in a Costco in Palm Springs. There's probably places worse, but to me, in my mind, that is the plastic surgery capital of the nation, right? You have ladies who are in their 70s or 80s who are dressed and have makeup of a 20-year-old. It, is, it doesn't look nice at all. They are trying so hard. And I don't know much about their nature, but all I know is they will gladly run me over with their cart full of alcohol. So, again, it just, just witnessing the opposite side of what it's talking about here. Because understand, Peter doesn't say women shouldn't adorn themselves. That's not it at all. But what he describes are those things that are incorruptible. The body we have ages. It passes. It goes away. And those who depend on their outward beauty will find that it doesn't last. You know, but the hidden person of the heart, the gentle and quiet spirit, that's a beauty that transcends age and appearance. And so often, that is what a husband needs and is attracted to. It's what I need so often. I know it in my life. And again, it's talking about the inner person, the person who is of a gentle and quiet spirit. It doesn't necessarily mean you physically have to be gentle or quiet. Right? The term gentle means a meek and like meek, humble, and mild. So when it would be so easy for you to get aggressive or take up arms against your husband because they're being immature, it happens. Then, you know, taking the mild approach. And quiet here isn't even talking about silent. It's referring to the wife's, the wife being peaceable, being still. You know, the things don't get you riled up. You know, you're able to keep that peace within yourself. There have been times where I, I couldn't hold it together. My world is crumbling. And I just remember my wife coming in and hugging me and be like, honey, it's going to be all right. Changing everything. She has that power. So I cannot tell you how difficult it is for a woman to submit to a man. I haven't experienced it. I'm on the other side. What I can tell you is how effective I have been as a pastor and a husband because my wife has learned submission. Right? She's not always perfect, but none of us are. And our success, the success of our family has depended on it. We're going to go to the next two verses. So verse 5. For in this manner in former times, the holy woman who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. I think it's so interesting that Sarah is used in this example. 
Because when, it, when I read the stories of Sarah from the Bible, I don't really see a quiet and humble spirit from the stories. But this is where it's very important, as, as I will teach often as a pastor, to say, you got to read between the lines. Right? Because we get these couple of stories and we take that person's entire character from that, that direct story that correlates with them. But as a reader, you know, when you look at Sarah, right, she, she laughed. You know, when the angels came and said, hey, you're going to have a son, she's laughing in the background. She's also the one who was harping and, and nagging at Abraham to have a son through her servant Hagar. And then turning around and telling Abraham to kick out Hagar's son when Isaac was born. So it, you see some of these examples. It's like, yeah, she doesn't really seem humble or quiet. But this only shows these, these events. And yet, even with this, this should be an encouragement. Even after those events, she is compared as a holy woman who trusted in God. See, Abraham acted foolishly sometimes. And yet we don't hear of the objections from Sarah when he moved out in faith. Like even though she was there the whole time. Imagine Abraham had to leave his whole family, leave everything behind. And we're like, Abraham had faith, but Sarah went with him. Right? Imagine the faith that Sarah had, had to follow him. You know, there's more examples in the Bible and I would encourage you to study through them. But one last piece before I move on to the the guys. So if you found another entertainment, guys, find a stopping point. We're going to get to you in a second. So at the end of verse two, right? So Peter says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, you definitely have to make sure this is in context. Because when it says fear, it's not talking about your husband, right? It's not saying that your chaste conduct should be accompanied by a fear of your spouse. That doesn't work at all. Because if you have chaste conduct out of fear of your husband, then that's a compliance resulting from abuse. You know, there's, it's not biblical at all. So here we're talking about a fear of the Lord. Because regardless of how your husband acts, you fear God, so you act accordingly in your marriage. If your husband acts badly towards you, then you are chased because God has called you to be. It is not dependent upon your husband and his actions. It is what God has called you to be. And in fact, if we look at the end of verse 6, it says, Whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. How easy is it to be afraid in life, especially when your husband's acting a fool? Like, I I see looks. I don't see as many head nods. I don't know if they're worried about what's, you know, people seeing them. But I I guarantee my wife gets like that sometimes. Like, what is this man thinking? (laughs) So maybe he's making some bad mistakes and you see trouble on the horizon. Allow God to be your peace. Right? Allow God to keep you grounded and anchored when the storms hit. When we're talking about fear, it's not a fear of God's retribution. It's a fear that we would walk away from him and disobey his commandments. So wives, it's hard to submit. But as God has called you to submit to your husband, I hope you'd have a righteous fear of acting in a different manner. So ladies, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to talk to you this morning. You know, please understand that all this was said in love and, you know, just, you know, I'm speaking because I have a desire for marriages to grow.
Guys, listen up. It's your turn. Gird up your loins. Here we go. Because you think, it's like, oh, yeah, the women had those six verses. They got it. I only got the one verse at the end. Oh, no, I'm going to bring it to you guys because here's the thing. Guys, if we get it wrong, it messes up everything. Right? Afterwards, you can argue who has it harder. No, please don't do that. But (laughs) pay attention. Verse 7, here we go. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So there's three substantial parts I want to focus on from this. So three points, guys, I want you to walk away with, right? So you see how I did that? Like with the women, it's like, hey, all this stuff. And guy, I'm like, guys, three points. It's very basic, okay? Three. I've been in the military a while. I know how it goes. So first part of it, right? Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. It says to dwell with them with understanding. What should we understand? You should understand your wife. You know, and will any of us fully understand our spouse? Absolutely not. If you think you fully understand your spouse, then I have openings next week for counseling, and I would gladly bring you in and let you know that you are a fool. Because here's the thing, and it's funny, because usually the people who have been married a long time are the ones like, yeah, I have no clue. (laughs) That woman is still a mystery to me. But what does that mean for us as husbands? That means you should be constantly learning. So I I get to use my own relationship as an example with my wife. Here's the funny thing. One thing I know about her is she does not like for me to use her as an example in my messages (laughs) at all. So I will will say I did not use her as an example when I talked about wives, did I? You know, I, I said she did the hugging and that thing, but there's plenty of examples I could have used. But... I know her, and I'm going to honor my wife because I recognize that that's not something she enjoys. You know, in essence, though, I, I did inadvertently make an example of her by not making an example of her. It's not too complicated, but all this to say, <laughs> you need to work to understand your wife. You know, when she's frustrated, I try to recognize why. You know, when you know, I want to know what things make her happy. What's her love language? What things are difficult for her? What's her passions? What's her goals? You have to seek to understand things. And guys, I, I don't speak for all the women, but I know for my wife, she at least appreciates that I try to understand. That's a huge step in the right direction. And it plays right into the second part, part two. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, it's not necessarily, necessarily saying the wife is the weaker vessel. Some people will teach that. You know, if you believe that, that's fine. That's not the point of the verse. What does it say? It says for you guys, men, as to the weaker vessel or as unto. So whether they're the weaker vessel or not, that's how you're supposed to approach them. And what does that mean? Picture this. You get home. You are exhausted. You're tired, you're messed up, your wife is there, she's tired, she's, you know, she's having an episode, those kind of things, right? So I get, yeah. Ladies, you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> so you're both having a bad day. Husbands, what are you called to do? You're called to give grace to your wife. 
You know, give her the space needed. See what you can do to love and nurture her where she's at. You are called to cover her during these times. You are both tired. You both have long days and you want to come back at them. But when you approach them as the weaker vessel, then you approach with understanding and mercy. You approach with love and grace. It's a self-sacrificial stance, right? And that's how you honor them. You know, and, and ladies, when, you, when things fall apart, how good is it to feel like your husband is trying to understand you? Does it help the situation? And husbands, you, you may get it or you may not, but you're called to try. And how important is it? How important are these things to be able to act right with your wife? Let's look at the last part. It says, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So guys, if you actually did click off when I told you to, good job. But what I was telling the ladies is that, you know, Jesus actually talked about in the end how it's going to be, how we're not going to be given in marriage. We're not going to marry, but we're going to be like the angels. Instead, we will be heirs together of the grace of life. So what I see, and, and, and this may just be my consideration, but I see full equality. Like there's not going to be a, really a difference when it comes to gender. When we get up there, maybe that's only me. But I do know that, guys, that the roles are going to change. You know, it's going to be very different when we get there. And what does that mean? It means that during this life, you have a job and you have a function but your conduct needs to reflect your place in eternity. Men, we're called to be head of our households. You know, it's, it's a sacred duty. And there's other parts that you consider with it. You know, being the protector, being the provider. Like th these are things that come with it. And essentially, husbands, you're, you're in charge. You're the lead. That's the biblical function, the role. And honestly, it can be daunting if you're doing it right. You know, when you truly recognize what it means to lead and serve your family, you understand the responsibility that it entails. And I have seen men who recognize their place of leadership, but then they do it completely the wrong way. Especially being involved in the military, where, you know, Marines, you know, a lot of those. I was enlisted Marine Corps 14 years. Okay, I saw a lot of leadership styles that were domineering and crass, right? Hey, I'm wearing the rank. You listen to what I say. It's not just Marine. There, there's plenty of that in the Army too. But becoming a chaplain, I witnessed how some of these strong military leaders, they would translate that same kind of domineering style into their marriage relationships, right? I said relationships, plural, on purpose, because usually when I get to them, they're on their third or fourth marriage, because it doesn't work, does it? These are the extreme examples, but while this is not how an average man acts, it's the same issue that happens in many households. The man sees themselves as a higher rank, and because of that, you know, because they're called the lead. But husbands, if you are leading your house properly, then your wife will not feel inferior. If you are leading your house right, then you and your wife will move forward together. Right? There's not going to be a difference between. Technical difficulties. Got to love this thing. 
Both will recognize their roles. Because the thing is, in a family with a man as the head and the wife taking a submissive role as described in this verse, there's an ability for neither one to feel inferior. Both recognize their roles. But here's the caveat, husbands. So when I talked to the wives, what was the stipulations for submission? You know, Peter does encourage them to be of a chaste behavior coupled with fear. So there should be a righteous inspiration that, that calls you to submit. But to the men, Peter says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Guys, are you working to be closer to God? Do you consider yourself a godly man and believing your prayers are reaching the throne of heaven? Because if you're failing at these things with your wife, then your prayers could be hindered. As recognizing this as well, and I'm speaking to myself as a minister this morning, we can get so caught up in ministry, caught up in church, caught up, caught up in doing God's work that our wife becomes neglected. So believing that you're completely sold out to God, your conduct at home may be hindering the communication you have with your heavenly father. That's how important it is. Your wife and your family do not take the precedence over your relationship with God, but rather they should be the attributes that enhance your relationship with God. Amen. So husbands, they got the first six verses, but you got verse seven, right? I would encourage you to take a deep look at all these things. Like I said, how do you live with your wife according to knowledge and understanding as unto the weaker vessel and as the joint heir of the grace of life. I would have, I would ask you to consider these things. And now I want to speak to both the wives and husbands. So no more segregating. You guys can shift back together. All right. We're all, we're all a team here. And I will say, you know, for a lot of the singles that are in here, you know, or those who aren't married, you know, hopefully this is an encouragement to you as well. You know, what we've talked about this morning. Um, but for both sections of the passage for today, both to the wives and husbands, it starts out with a word. So some translations, it'll start out with that word. For the New King James, it has it as a second. But if you noticed, in the New King James, it says, wives, likewise. And husbands, likewise. Likewise to what? Right, well, if you were here last week, you heard from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Did you? Yeah. Okay, good. You guys actually answered. The last service was like blank stares. I'm like, am I right? Did I get the right verse this morning? <laughs> like, I wouldn't have to do this one. So, and, and yeah, I, I, I didn't hear the one from last week. But for those of you who were here, or if you just kind of skip back a chapter, you'll realize that the, it is addressed to servants back then. So Peter encouraged them to act as Christ did, that even when Christ was reviled and threatened, he did not revile back, right? He sacrificed himself and bore our sins on the tree, and by his stripes we are healed. That is the example that Peter uses for servants and how they should humble themselves to their masters. And then we get to our passage where he says, wives, likewise. So what you heard last week, guess what? That applies over wives, likewise, with the same love and humility that Jesus showed wives, you are called to humble yourself in the home. And husbands, likewise, 
with the same sacrificial love that Jesus showed, we as husbands are called to love our wives and families. Not threatening, not with guile in our mouths, but committing ourselves to God the Father who judges righteously. If you truly want to know how to treat your spouse, then look to the cross. Look to Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I know this was kind of a rough message. Believe me, I wrote it. And I hope that there were some things inside, inside you that, that began stirring because I gave a lot of the what. I talked about the what, what you need to do. I didn't really give much of the how. And there's a reason for that because I could talk about so many examples of how, how it works, but every marriage is different. Every person is different. I could give examples like, oh, I should do that. And then it would ruin things for you. <laughs> so I don't want to talk about the how. You know, but I really hope that you're considering these things, these things. But I do want to give three quick things that I think are necessary to work on, you know, with all the things we talked to today. First, pray for wisdom. When it comes to your marriage relationship, pray for wisdom. Because the Bible says, ask for wisdom and God will give it. He will give it generously. He wants to give you the wisdom to lead your family, the wisdom to foster that relationship with your spouse, or the wisdom to submit when things are difficult. He wants to give that wisdom to you. Ask God for wisdom. Second, depend on the Holy Spirit. So often we look for guidance from God in, in things of ministry, you know, or, or big life decisions. But how often do we seek guidance when we're talking with our spouse? Because we think, you know, God, he's so big, you know, it's the whole universe, you know, he's such a big God. Why should I bother him with this little thing? But it's exactly the opposite. God's desire is for you to seek him in the little things. Depend on God's guidance, even in the small daily interactions with your family. It'll make a change. And third, when you are just confused on what to do next, on how you should act and who you should be and how you should interact in a situation, look to Christ. Because how has Christ loved us, right? When you reflect on that love, your heart changes. You know, you're, you're, and fulfilling your role as a husband and a wife actually becomes easy. Allow the ultimate example of love to be your heading, to be your lead in these things. And what better way is there to recognize Christ's love shown on the cross than what we get to do this morning by partaking in communion? Amen. So I would ask the worship team to come and get set up. And so as the worship team plays, they're going to pass the, uh, the communion cups you're welcome to partake. If you don't, during the song, we will partake together at the end. But understand the communion cup being the celebration of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the blood that he shed and the body that was broken. And what's interesting is when you study it, it talks about, you know, not to take the, the, the bread and the wine in an unworthy manner. And we look to ourselves and it's like, okay, is there something messed up? Is there something that I can change? And I would really encourage you because sometimes we look to ourselves, but we don't look to the person next to us. Who have I been for my wife? Who have I been to my husband? 
Because when you recognize how amazing Christ's sacrifice is, then it affects all those relationships. So even as you take communion this morning, I would really encourage you to reflect on, on Christ's love for you and how you can give that forward. Amen.